Hey guys, welcome to 12 Questions. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining us. Ooh, okay. Well, and uh, you know what, Alex, I'm going to let you do the introductions today. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm really excited to have our guest here today. Uh, his name's Chris, human being Chris. And Chris. <laughs> uh, I met Chris uh, at, a, at a meeting, one of my meetings that I go to to keep things on track. And I was just really, uh, re- just really impressed by just him, him as a human being and him as just, you know, as, as a sober person. Just wow, just the, everything that you've been through. So I had to get him on the show, the podcast, to share with the world, you know, as much as I can. And uh, give it up for Chris, guys. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, Chris, um, it's very nice to meet you. You You're a very calm vibe. Do I? Yeah. It's all up front. Ah. (laughs) That's great. We'll get into it. We'll get into it. Do you want to start with the questions? Uh, Yeah, sure. Well, let's get to know Chris a little bit. And uh, yeah, Chris, how was your day, man? Um, My day has been pretty good this was coming down the pipe so whenever i have something like this where i need to talk or you know this is a first for me uh you know i've spoken a lot of meetings like you heard me Mm -hmm. the other week and that's something that has only come about because of recovery Mm -hmm. i never had another platform in my life where public speaking or anything like that was something that i did so it's been something that I've had to sort of learn as I've gone. Mm-hmm. And it's something that I've, yeah, it's, it's a, it in and of itself has been an interesting chapter or area of my life as it relates to recovery that maybe doesn't even get talked about a lot. But so I have something like this coming down the pipe. And so it's sort of there, it's sort of lingering, it's sort mm-hmm. of on my mind. And it gives me a good opportunity to do certain things to try to prepare Um not necessarily rehearse, but to sort of mentally prepare for um, just to be present and to be available and to be transparent, hopefully. Absolutely. You hear that, 12Q listeners? This is an exclusive. I know, right? (laughs) First podcast ever. Yeah, I um, I actually had some time in the program before starting comedy. So my public speaking experience was... uh, through 12-step programs mm-hmm. it was so funny the first time a comic and then co- it, the comics who are in recovery found me and and the ones who needed recovery kind of found me too which was fun <laughs> and then um, right and then they uh and then i ended up going to meetings and and with comics in kind of a different capacity almost feeling like i was wearing two hats at once i remember the first time a comedian asked me to share at his meeting he was like can you do 15 which is a very comic way of asking how much time how many jokes do you have and i was like in this arena i can do 45 what do you Ooh, want like hey. <laughs> what do you want <laughs> drops mic um but yeah i totally get it totally gets a little different it's a little vulnerable but in a way that there's a similarity because humor can be the cheat code to relating to one another sure you know what i mean mm-hmm. so i totally get it you want to get into some 12 questions sure, let's go you for feeling it, it? you feeling mm-hmm. it yeah um, what does surrender look like to you? You know, when Alex came and saw me the other week, it was at a specific kind of meeting. It was this, this is format of meetings I got sober in. I call it a step study meeting or a step meeting. And, mm-hmm. uh, it's very disciplined and it very much goes through each of the steps, one through 12, one each week. And then it just cycles over and over again. And, uh, so 
since I got sober in that format, so to speak, I've had a lot of opportunities to share in that format. And one of the things that they do is it's an effort to talk about the experience I had on that step. Mm -hmm. But when I look at any of those things, I see it in two ways. And I talked about this at the meeting. And it's there's the experience I had going through the step. And then there's the experience I have now and what that step looks like in application to my life today. Absolutely. You know, so that was all a long-winded preface to say, as far as surrender is concerned, I look at it in the same two ways, you know. There was the big surrender. There was the turning point that I found myself at where I sort of flipped a little bit. And when I became willing enough and when something happened internally in a switch turn so that I started to move towards the direction that I've found myself moving towards ever since. Hmm. So I can look back at that day historically, maybe I can't pinpoint it down to an exact moment, but I can see the general vicinity of time, you know, when there was sort of a, I don't even know. I became open-minded enough to start to do a lot of things that were suggested for me to do for a long time, you know? So there's that that could be talked about as a surrender, mm-hmm. you know? But then there's just the daily surrender. There's the surrender that I can experience here and now. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You had mentioned some health stuff when you walked in. Well, that's good. Yeah, you and I were both talking about that, and I'm I'm uh, I'm in the middle of some health stuff. I was mm-hmm. at the ER last night. Sure. And like when I have issues, I discover new. I've discovered a new level of surrender and a new level of uh, defiance. I I found um, I found reservations I didn't know I had. Like mm-hmm. I had an un- I had an unspoken and maybe unconsciously thought of agreement with my higher power. That like as long as I was healthy, everything's everything's cool, and I have no desire to use. But sometimes I have a desire to be unspiritual <laughs> in my actions. Mm. And um, like, how how is that going for you? Well, the, you know, I had a a sort of semi catastrophic health event. It was a heart related thing. Damn, it's just like a it's a cardiac arrhythmia that I had, and it came out of the blue. And um, I had to go to the emergency room, and I was at the gym. I was on the treadmill and I got out of breath and I couldn't catch my breath. And then after about an hour of trying to catch my breath and being incapable of doing it, it became evident that I needed like emergency medical attention. Mm. You know, so then I went to the experience of really feeling like I was pretty much dying and I came into the emergency room barely conscious. And so a lot of that is a good, I don't know, talking about surrender, it's a good metaphor for all that. Because by the time I got there, there wasn't a lot of fight left in me, right? Right. You know, they pulled me in. There were a lot of medical personnel around me talking, and they were poking and prodding me. Mm-hmm. And I, they could do whatever they wanted at that point. Right. I wasn't going to say, you know, you know, don't do that, don't do this. I wasn't afraid of the pain that any of the procedures might have had. Right. I was, I had... I was willing for whatever to happen, you know? On your own volition. That's like the toughest thing for addicts i feel or anybody wanting to change i feel like you have to come to it on your own you you really cannot lead that horse to water sure that's one horse you cannot lead to water is your whole surrender you just gotta let people hit their fucking rock bottom i I see it all around me where i i can see what people are going through and almost like 
kind of guesstimate that I was like, oh yeah, you're gonna get a DUI soon. Yeah. I'm like oh you yeah. See that yeah. a lot of comedy. <laughs> oh yeah. So I'm like, what oh man. DUIs waiting to happen you currently. You, 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 you can't do anything about it. You just gotta let them go through the motions. It's insane. Sure. For sure. How's been? How's your sort of after? Because when you get to that point where you're like, okay, I'm willing to let you guys do anything. And then they tell you, you have to change your lifestyle after that. Mm. How's that surrender been? Um, it's been pretty good. I, that's the reason I turned down the Turkish coffee, honestly. I noticed. Yeah. Cause then you <laughs> well, said, and I, in my brain, I was like, oh, he can't have coffee. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. It, you know, and, uh, vaping was another thing. It's a popular, you know, oh, I'm man. now in recovery and I vape. So now I don't, you know? Yeah. And that was nice because it was something that I actually wanted to drop for a while. Yeah. And I didn't have the motivation. And so it was a good excuse to mm-hmm. really set that down. Oh, you're so brave. As well, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I was thinking about when you were talking about the, because there's, there's this idea of compliance and surrender. You, ever, you guys ever hear about that? There was yeah. a guy, Harry Tebow. He was some old psychologist that worked with alcoholics back in the, you know, whatever, early days. And he wrote a lot about compliance versus surrender. And you talked about seeing someone else sort of circling the drain on their own bottom and really having no power to, you know, have them hit their bottom faster or not mm-hmm. hit their bottom or the powerlessness you have over other people's recovery. You know, and it's sort of the same with us and with mm-hmm. me, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I, c- I could cut their brake lines, but that would suck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Well, I remember just before you got sober too. There was like a moment where you were talking about, you were talking about some wreckage you created, mm-hmm. and I'm just sitting there laughing. I'm oh, like yeah. going, like, bro, you can't do that. Yeah. Stop this thing that you're doing. This yeah. way you're behaving. Stop doing it. And it was actually somebody not in the program who was like, you need to stop drinking. Yeah. <laughs> like two or three people out of the program were like, maybe you should stop drinking. That seems to be yeah, the problem. Sure. And I was just laughing. I was, I was like, like, oh, he'll I was figure like it whatever. Out. As I sipped on my coffee cup full of whiskey, I yeah. was like, I guess those things do help. And one, you know, I've had a lot of those experiences too that really at the moment they didn't really hit home Mm -hmm. but you know maybe a seed was planted some of those good friends that were willing to you know say some things and sort of hold a mirror up to my face and 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 there was a couple weeks here and there where i would cut back on you know drinking so much because i would keep a full bottle of jameson in my trunk at all times and i'm go to a comedy club have like four or five shots go in have four or five more drinks and then go outside have a couple more drinks with people and then drive home Mm -hmm. and i was like i'm the shit i'm invincible this is great oh no i was i'm i'm incredibly fortunate to have surrendered when i did because if i didn't oh yeah easily just working some shit job Mm -hmm. just to pay off my dui and lawyer fees it would have it was right around the corner so i'm glad i hit that when i did yeah when i was thinking about the hospital thing too it was mm -hmm. You know, before I ended up going to the ER, I was at the gym and it was hitting me and I was feeling exceptionally bad. You know, it had been 30 minutes. I was pouring sweat. I couldn't catch my breath. Mm-hmm. I was really, really scared, but I didn't want to ask for help. You know, mm-hmm. I was kind of embarrassed. I wanted Ooh. to go lay down and collect myself where mm-hmm. no one could see me. And eventually I was so evident that someone from the gym saw me and asked me if I was okay. Holy and I remember shit. saying no. You know, those words, they weren't even my own words. They sort of came out. But still, I was like, they're like, you know, should we get yeah. you in, you know, paramedics or any of those things? And I was not willing, right? I was not willing to yeah. accept help. That would be the the metaphor I'm trying to draw a line for, you know? 
But then it's at some point, right, a switch flipped and I became willing. Right. So then you can look at that as like me coming to sobriety, the same thing. There's all the pain and consequences mm-hmm. of living a life where I'm drinking and drugging and hiding and stealing and, and doing all these things. And it's it's painful enough, but you know, I, I might make some declarations or I might comply to an extent, but I'm not really going to provide that surrender that's necessary. You know. But I find it so interesting, that same process as it relates to me in sobriety for some reason. There is sort of mindsets and preconceived ideas and ways of acting and sort of mental patterns that I find myself in, in sobriety, that cause a lot of pain. Yeah. That don't work. You know, yeah. But I don't know how to get out of it. I don't know how to ask for help for it. I don't think that anyone could reach me, even if they had. You know, I just there's these places that I get stuck in within those same you know things, and then that there's that same internal experience which happens right at some point. I become willing. You know, there's a surrender that happens. You know, right. I become willing to let go or drop it or ask for help or suddenly I'm able to where before I couldn't. You know. So I think that's kind of what I was trying to describe when I started answering the question a while ago. That's awesome. Thank you. Excellent. All right. Let's go, let's go on to our second okay. question. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's been your most insane moment, both in and out of recovery? Mm. <clears throat> yeah, when I think about this question, it's, you know, there's a sort of a a inclination to tell like a story that might be mm-hmm. interesting to listen to of some crazy things that happened or some, you know, yeah. there's a lot of those we'd call them war stories, you know, back when. And really, <laughs> I, there's some things that have happened to me while I've been sober that might even top those as far as making yeah. good TV specials or being, you know, drama worthy. I've or, done crazy shit since yeah. I've been in recovery. Yeah. Crazy. And it, we have no excuse. I have no excuse. <laughs> and I'm just like, yeah, yeah, sometimes I'm not great. <laughs> Party. <laughs> well, there's that simple idea, which is that the alcoholic problem isn't really the drinking, exactly. right? That Ooh. the drinking is a solution for it. Mm-hmm. So it makes sense that if I were to no longer have my solution, I were no longer to have my anesthesia, that the underlying problem which was there before the drinking started would only get worse right right and now i'm going to look for other ways to sort of quiet that thing that's happening and i can't drink anymore because now i have a little bit of sobriety because you know i just don't want to go down that path anymore mm-hmm. but it doesn't mean that i don't have the discontentedness it doesn't mean doesn't mean that i'm not uncomfortable mm-hmm. and i'm looking for some way to sort of comfort myself right right for, so for me a lot of the insane behaviors and sobriety are motivated by that have you ever had candy for dinner is that sobriety is that a that's like a real thing I, i've done literally <laughs> eating candy for dinner yeah just been like you know what we're having candy that's uh, what we're doing tonight can't can't check out in any other way just candy <laughs> i don't know if i've ever had no, candy see, for dinner yeah see I'm that's not, when you know that's a new bottom you yeah, can look some forward are sicker to than others yeah exactly say, right? mm-hmm. <laughs> that, that was last night for me i had the, the rest of my uh almond toffee chocolate bar right like eight bites i had like eight squares it was so worth it um it's delightful. I had candy for breakfast today. So oh, there, see, there we yeah. go. Yeah. Mm. What kind? Okay. Okay. Uh, Snickers. All right. That's but, yeah, they the... have that commercial, right? Uh, hungry, why wait? Yeah. So like that, just it's like this is kind of food, right? Yeah. Sort of. It's, yeah. it's calories. Yeah. It's it's but it's one of those things of like those are one of the ways mm. that I've tried to check out and be insane mm-hmm. and 
you know, and had to surrender to the fact that like, you can't eat a pound of sugar every night. That's stupid. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's just not, don't go to Rite Aid. <laughs> <laughs> Period. Yeah. So yeah, I totally understand that. Yeah. And yeah, it's, it's the insanity that I've experienced in sobriety in a whole different way has mm-hmm. been a lot worse. And I shared about this again at the meeting where I saw Alex at, um, you know, for me, what alcoholism has looked like now that I'm not drinking mm-hmm. is it's this thing that happens in my mind. Um, it's this propensity I have to fall for what's not happening. So like if I were to relate to you and the candy, you know, mm-hmm. th- thing, you know, I might want to get some candy because I'm trying to distract myself from something. A cell phone is also a good one, right? Yeah. I might get sucked at staring at my cell phone screen for four mm-hmm. hours straight f- for no good purpose, right? Easily. What am I doing? You know? I'm sort of trying to distract myself from something else. Yeah. So for me, I'm, I'm in my room alone. I come home from work. And there's something which is going on behind the scenes, which is producing discontentedness for me. Are you more of an introverted person? I guess so. I mean, I would, I would sort of wear that hat or I identify with that term more. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. So like the isolation is probably more of the where some of the, the stuff crops up. Yeah, it is. Or it's, it's maybe where it's more evident, mm-hmm. you know, but for me, it comes up in a lot of different places. The, the road is a big one. Sometimes I like to talk about, you know, when I'm driving down the road, I'm usually able to give enough um, attention to driving that I, I've been in a few accidents since I've been sober, mm-hmm. but most days I don't get in accidents, you know, right, because right, I'm right. able to pay enough attention to what I'm doing that I don't drive into other cars. You know, so I give about 10% of my attention to driving and the other 90% of my attention is given to something else. It's given to what's not happening. So I'm driving down the road and my mind is essentially producing these daydreams, which I'm consistently seduced by and Uh, they're daydreams of what happened or what is going to happen, you know? So I'm, shower thoughts. That's shower, what I call yeah, the shower, shower is thoughts. my other favorite place where mm-hmm. they come up. So the, the road, yeah. the shower, um, are places where I'm able to see these things, right? Like the shower, I, I oftentimes have these long-winded conversations in the shower, and I'm usually not showering with other people, unfortunately. <laughs> Most of my showers are, take place alone. Right. But they're not, it really. You know, really, I'm usually trying to hash out arguments with a girlfriend yeah. that I broke up with a year and a half ago. Yeah, you know, contentious conversations with people no longer in your life. Exactly. So, <laughs> like, all this is a good way of trying to point to what I can see now as, like, the underlying problem that is the reason I drank and drugged and all those things yeah. in the first place. Of course, I had no awareness of that then, you know, mm-hmm. I, but I was obsessively uh, caught up in this behavior that was, it was a comfort-seeking behavior. And what was I tr- trying to seek comfort from? And this this activity that we're talking about now is the best thing that I can try to point towards that is that. It's the most time-consuming. I've wasted more time in that behavior pattern in the last 14 years than anything else. Sure. It's it's that. I completely relate with that. And and there was like a turning point where, I, where the amount of time spent in that behavior um, dramatically reduced. It was mm-hmm. somewhere around 10. Mm-hmm. It took me a while. I'm a slow learner. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it was after actually a therapist chased me into the, or no, my sponsor chased me into therapy. And so there was like just some additional stuff. I needed a little bit of help lifting out of my brain. But once, um, once that was lifted, it was like, suddenly I could do a lot more, 
you know, suddenly, suddenly the idea of doing more than one thing in a day was really like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah we can do that. What's the cute way of describing procrastination? I'm too busy to get anything done, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. And the busyness is is referring to mental busyness. The funniest thing I ever heard when I worked in treatment, this uh, gal was uh, talking about just needing to do the next indicated thing, either in her step work or something. I said, well, why don't you do this? And she said, well, Oh no, it was, uh, she wasn't feeling well mm-hmm. and she's on her fourth or fifth rock star of the day. Yeah. And I said, why don't you drink some water? Mm-hmm. And she <laughs> said, I'm too busy to drink water. Mm-hmm. And I said, girl, all I've seen you do today is paint your nails and drink energy drinks by the pool. And mm-hmm. she said, but my mind is too busy to drink water. Yikes. And I started laughing so hard I had to take a knee because she wasn't wrong. Yeah. She wasn't wrong. She was super stuck honest, in, her yeah. behavior, in her behaviors. Mm-hmm. But like on the same token, like no one's too dr- busy to drink water. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Sure. Yeah. But yeah, I totally yeah. get that. I had a really bad uh, acid trip once. I've had a few. I got this mm-hmm. LSD in Boston that had little pictures of albert einstein printed on it you know which was kind of cool i yeah. thought at the time and so things yeah, got totally. bad i got really anxious i got really scared you know the way any bad acid trip if any of you have had a bad acid trip goes oh yeah and i got to that point where i just i didn't know what to do there mm-hmm. seemed like there was no way out i didn't know if i was going to ever be normal again all of these things and then i found so much relief when this intuitive thought came to me as if it came right from heaven itself it was you can drink water and, you know, there was, I knew that that I could do. Oh, yeah. I didn't know if I could talk to my roommate. I didn't know if I should go outside or stay inside. Or I don't know if I was hot or if I was cold or if I should go up or down. It's but I knew feeling. I could drink water. And so that's where I started to that's make the my worst way up. feeling. Like, <laughs> Basic uh, biological function. Yeah. <laughs> like a terrible acid trip once has led me, because like, it started at a rave where we were like, oh, we're going to go like listen to DJ Icy. We're going to go like rave our asses off mm-hmm. and let's go find liquid acid. Mm-hmm. And we found this little like lanky kid. And he was like, hey, man, I got liquid Why acid. Why that kid always lanky? He's always lanky because he does nothing. He has no time to work out. Yeah. He's busy selling drugs. You know? <laughs> Just all elbows and knees. All elbows and knob <laughs> knees. You know, that's And wearing jinkos like all the time. Mm-hmm. Mm. And so he gave us like a drop each. We're like, yeah, here's $5. Gave us a drop each in our tongue. And like an hour later, we're like, dude, it's not hidden. This guy sold us some bullshit. Let's find him. So we find him. We punk him. And we're like, dude, you sold us whack shit, man. Give us the whole bottle. And he's like, dude, you don't want to do that. You don't want to do that. And we're like, fuck you. You don't, you don't know who we are. We party. <laughs> and we all like just take the whole the little vial and we suck on it each. And we're like, <laughs> the whole time all the way around. And it kicks in. Mm-hmm. And boy, does it fucking kick in. Like six hours later, I am writing my will. (laughs) I'm deciding who I want to give all my stuff to. Uh, Everything keeps changing shapes. I got friends in the corner over there looking out the window, trying to make sure that grass is still green and just shit like that. It's... Mm -hmm. and. Finally, when it cleared up, I like I, I fell asleep and then I, I woke up in my freaking boxers in his mom's living room and she was like, hey, wake up. And I was like, oh, what? We're back to reality. Mm. Oh, thank God. Oh, thank God. Like kissing the ground that you're like standing on. It was yeah. it was kind of like the same feeling. Like, oh, thank God. Like this is I'm, I'm going to be OK from this chaos mm-hmm. yeah. in my childhood home where i grew up in i had one time carved 120 on the wall with mm-hmm. a pocket knife because that was the time in the morning when i realized that that, that same moment mm-hmm. you know wow. where 
it was like I was back and, yeah. and you know time was going to continue on and, and that you lost okay. and that you lost your security deposit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, it's the childhood yeah, home. Yeah, yeah, exactly. still live there? No, they sold the house. Oh and, no. Well, yeah. they probably fixed that before there. <laughs> it's still there. <laughs> probably, yeah, hopefully. That's amazing. Yeah. How do you make decisions? How do I make decisions? Mm-hmm. Um, I either <laughs> uh, It's funny cuz in the big book the the word decision is used a lot, mm-hmm. right? So like in the third step we made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Um, so like ideally that's how I make my decisions. You know? But uh Yeah, most of my decisions that I found that I make, you know, relating to what we've talked about is this idea of making a decision based on self. You know? So it's like I said before, it's like the mind, it produces a lot of advertisements for me. It mm-hmm. produces a lot of information about what I should do, about who I am, about what's going to happen. And basically I buy into those things and I bite onto them as if a fish bit onto a lure or something, right? Yeah. And that's usually how I make my decisions. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm sort of talking in a cheeky way because this isn't like me offering the listeners advice of like how to make decisions. Mm-hmm. I know the answer you want is, well, I run it by a few people. I call my sponsor. Um, I write a pros and cons list. I do this. I do that. And all those things may be true to an extent, you know, but that's just not when I look at a question like this, that's not the way that I look at it. You know, I am really into <laughs> at some point I got really into recovery, you know. And some of these things, and it really relates to what I talked about before is, you know, A, recovery isn't something that I wanted to be involved in. Probably the same is for you too. I don't know. I know for a lot mm-hmm. of people in recovery, it's sort of, it's something that has come to me in some way more than mm-hmm. I've come to it. Yeah. But then since I've gotten sober, it's become more and more interesting to me. Um, looking at the things that are being talked about there as... Uh, a solution for some of the other stuff we were talking about. Yeah. Um, I almost feel like I'm not making sense. It's okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah everybody. Oh, we is. ever. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, I, I don't think that there's any uh, right or wrong answer, especially when it comes to like one's process. Cause every decision is a little bit different mm-hmm. for sure. I just think it's interesting to ask people how they make decisions because there was, time in my life where I couldn't make decisions. Mm-hmm. Um, the idea of making a decision was terrifying. Well, and a, there was a guy that I liked in my home group who passed away that would, he really talked about decision making as being where a lot of this stuff lies. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. really the idea that I have a decision to make is probably a fallacy in and of itself. You right. know, it's, it's me presuming that I have really more power and control over my life than I really do. Yeah. You know, and at the end of the day, whether I break up with her or stay with her or whether I, you know, get the dream job or I don't probably has less to do with me than I think it does. For sure. You know, and right. it's this idea that the responsibility f- to bring this into fruition is on my shoulders is, is what causes a lot of undue pain and suffering. No? For sure. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> no, like after my um, eighth step, when you dump it all out and you sit with your sponsor and you just read your entire book cover to cover, mm-hmm. after that, I, you, you, they, advise you to take a nap afterwards because it's so mentally exhausting mm-hmm. like none other and god I, after that i was i felt really empty like i'm like what do i do now mm-hmm. i have no no you know vantage point 
of my life anymore. And then after I took a nap, I woke back up and I'm like, okay, uh, what do I do? I'm panicking still. I have no idea where to make decisions from. And I used to draw my decision making from those old resentments and experiences and you know oh i should do this because it's going to lead to that or you know and vice versa it was just that was not the case mm -hmm. it's pretty much out there in the universe and like beyond your control and that's what i where i allowed myself to exist and just kind of like what you were saying you just let it come to you yeah, really, the best way to make a decision for me is to not make a decision mm. as it relates to my life. Right. If I feel like I'm at a, I need to act in one way or another, what do they say? Like, uh, we pause when agitated or doubtful mm. and ask for the next right thought or action, right? Contrary Or reactions. indecision, yeah. we ask for intuitive thought. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, there's a lot right. of stuff in big book, you know, 12-step literature that talks about this, mm -hmm. which is really the idea of it's... You know, what is it? Um, God, remove my fear and direct my attention toward what you would have me be, right? Mm -hmm. Not what you would have me do. You know, mm -hmm. it's just a redirection. It's me trying to get into that surrendered state. It's me trying to hold on to some modicum of a peace, peaceful, open mind. Right. And then I can hopefully just be a channel. When I can get out of the way is when the best things happen, right? God when damn. I'm involved in the process, when I'm there for it, it's a whole other experience. And it's an experience that has a much different quality than the experience where I'm not participating in it in the same way, right? God damn, that's the true definition of an open mind. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to not fucking let anything stand there in your way or like, Wow. Yeah, that's good. So that becomes the idea is how do I get out? You know, how do I get out of my own way? Mm -hmm. You know, I love the that cute like recovery definition for humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. Yeah. Mm. Right. You know. Um. Yeah. So really, it's that idea of continuously trying to back down, of continuously trying to pause and not act. And again, it's the the actions that I take or the phone calls that I make or the words that I use or the places that I go when it happens in a way where it feels spontaneous and unforced and not motivated by any thing, then it's got a whole new flavor to it, you know? So then the idea is finding a way to process all the other drives to act based on, you know, what does it say? We're driven by a hundred forms of fear, self-delusion, self-pity. We step on the toes of our fellows, blah, 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 right? Yeah. So there's that whole paragraph in the big book, which is pointing towards really a way of living where I am motivated to make decisions based on self-centeredness. Mm. You know, my head is producing stuff, ideas, old ways of thinking, and this is the motivating factor for make, me to make decisions, and it sets into motion this whole karmic hamster wheel, which produces a groundhog day over and over again of not being capable of producing a new experience in my life, of meaning well, but being incapable of doing well, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You know? We create our own rut. Yeah, we're manufacturers of our own misery, right? We set in motion trains of circumstance which brought us misfortune we feel we didn't deserve. There's a lot of ways they talk about it, you know, um, in recovery literature and whatnot, but it's just, it's more than words on a page. It's been the truth of my own life. Hmm. Oh, yeah. yeah. What is the most surprising thing you've learned about yourself? that I suffer from a spiritual illness that I'm trying to, you know, all these questions, I'm trying to use them as jumping off points to point towards one simple thing, you know, right. which is that I have a disease that I've found that I suffer from. If you want to use those, if that language works, mm -hmm. you know, um, yeah. What did you think was going on before? I mean, before I, 
you know, okay, I had common states of mind, which was, okay, so I had this drug problem, this drinking problem, yeah. so they said, right? So that's probably what I thought was going on for a long time. Mm -hmm. You know, at some point, maybe I thought that, you know, I did. I remember, I remember before I would get sober, I would... Um, I would say that I was self-medicating, mm -hmm. you know, so I guess there was some awareness that I was, uh, yeah, that I was looking to, um, sort of fix something. Yeah. Um, um, but what is the most important thing that I've learned about myself? We're surprising. Mm -hmm. you know surprising. What I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Now, what sometimes, do you sometimes you learn things. Sometimes you discover things about yourself that are unexpected in the process of working mm -hmm. the steps. I mean, it's been it's been an interesting it's been interesting to see how unreliable my own perception is. Mm. You know, of the way that I see myself. Um people in the world have really been helpful for me in that regard. Yeah. You know, I think having a, having a poor self-esteem mm -hmm. goes really hand in hand with being an alcoholic and, and whatnot, you know? So there's this sort of underlying set of beliefs, which are pretty, you know, of, of me being worthless, right. Of me being unlovable of, of me being really terrible, um, that are sort of down there below the surface, you know? And there's been a lot of people in my life that have been helpful in giving me evidence to point out that some of those things are unequivocally untrue. Yeah. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, definitely. Mm -hmm. A lot of the programming, mm -hmm. like on a, on a smaller level, I, I believed for many years that I was like not a nurturing person. A nurturing and person? Yeah. yeah. Not somebody, um, uh, who would be good around kids. Mm -hmm. I don't know why I believe that. Yeah. And then it was pointed out to me in recovery, how many people got to call me during the day just for emotional support before I realize that um, I, I do have like a nurturing vibe. Mm -hmm. So it was like a total surprise to me. It was like a positive surprise, yeah. you know? And then on the flip side, when I first started working the steps, I remember actually saying this at a meeting and everybody laughed at me and rightfully so. I said something like, you know, I just don't really have a lot of resentments. You know what I mean? Like I'm just, I just don't, I'm not mad at anybody. Yeah. That's the thing for others. Yeah. Uh, I had a similar mm -hmm. experience. I was more on that camp. There's a, the other person that has the 400 people on their list right. and they need to, they need a sponsor really, to like say like, all right, let's, listen. let's pump the brakes there. Right. Turbo. Let's, 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 <laughs> let's boil this yeah. down to it's like five people yeah. and mostly they're related to you <laughs> and your boss. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you're just mad at your dad when you really unpeel that. <laughs> but that, that person, that's also the, yeah. I did okay with my resentment list. Mm -hmm. I, yeah, it, but I, I relate more towards your camp than the other one. But I see that a lot in recovery. The guy who comes in, you know, and is has, oh, I've let all that go. And it's like, no, no. sweetie. No, no, no. <laughs> no. The stove is still hot, yeah. baby. Come on. Exactly. You yeah. should see Anna in the comedy scene. People just walk up to her and start spilling out their heart. It's just yeah. it's hilarious. It That's why I started this podcast. Yeah, including myself. Yeah. I When I first met her, maybe second time, I was like, yeah, I'm doing all these issues, you know, blah, 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 blah. They're like, wait, you can easily exploit me right now for all these facts. This is People just, just make you their therapist, like on the... Is I have that, resting yeah. therapist face. Resting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my uh, my grandmother has been a marriage and family therapist for forty years, and I mm -hmm. think that um, a part of me 
uh, gives off that vibe. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I first started doing comedy, I was used to, and I'd been working in treatment for 10 years. I had been in, you know, recovery people. I'm used to, you know, really looking in someone's eyes the way that you're doing right now. Mm-hmm. Very difficult for a lot of comics to do, to really look in somebody's eyes and share an experience mm-hmm. and really talk about your feelings. And I thought that was just something, because I was one of those people that mostly hung out in the rooms and mostly, I got really into my recovery. And... I venture outside, start doing comedy, and folks would just come up to me and be like, hey, how's it going? Um, Let me tell you about my divorce. (laughs) And it would just go on and on. I remember being very, very, very overwhelmed. And I went up to David Taylor at the comedy store. He was like, how you doing? I was like, I'm overwhelmed. Comics just keep telling me all their business. (laughs) And he said, well, you can look at that as a negative thing, or you could make it a podcast. Mm. And then he looked at another comedian and that comedian, he said, he said to, it was uh, Nick Youssef Mm -hmm. and he said, uh, Anna's going to start a podcast. He didn't give me, he railroaded me into it. It was like, Anna's going to start a podcast. And I said, oh, come on. And he goes, what What do you think your podcast is going to be? And I said, I don't know, Nick. And he goes, you know what? You're in a 12-step program. You should call it 12 questions and ask people 12 questions. Boom. And I was like, well, speaking of decision making, I was like, well, well, that's just right there. That's just the next indicated thing. That's what you do. Yeah, sure. You know, so mm-hmm. I think that, you know, a lot of times um, I find when I work with other people, there's always a delight when you're sponsoring somebody when they call you one day and they go, I'm really self-centered. And mm. you're like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and you're human, too. That's part sure. of the human addict or alcoholic condition mm-hmm. it's like we just our brains kind of zero in that way yeah and that that sudden realization for a lot of people is really interesting and fun and a type of surrender on its own absolutely and just to so. exist just to exist is yeah. a relief like maintenance <laughs> right maintenance right. Yeah. <laughs> we're just to admit it there's that in admitting it then i'm no longer sort of governed by it you know there's that whole principle exactly. of denial right mm-hmm. as long as i'm not looking at it and i'm it's then it becomes the guiding force in my life mm-hmm. but as soon as i accept it and admit it then it's that it's that first paradox in recovery right as soon right. as i admit i'm powerless over alcohol i no longer have to put alcohol in my body anymore exactly as I heard, long as <laughs> i heard something so great in the rooms like they said uh when it when it becomes a secret it becomes a problem yeah sure right isn't that insane you're just like everywhere we spend our lives sweeping things under the rug, you know, and then it blows up at the family dinner and you're just like, what the fuck? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And when they say it's a family disease, that's usually it is the denial. The deni- I was just speaking to a family member the other day and she's kind of, you know, when you're a teenager, you start asking people questions about what really happened. And you, <laughs> and I was like, girl, you got like an hour. And she was like, yeah. And I was like, all right. I'll tell you about your aunt, which is my mom. Mm. And um, I started, you know, giving her the real unwashed story. Because what happened was is she asked, she just asked a simple question. She was like, didn't, didn't my aunt drink a lot? Or was she doing other drugs? Uh-huh. And everyone just started crying. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> she was like, why did they react that way? And I was like, all right, well, let's have a talk. Uh, first off, oh, the, <laughs> the level of denial in our family is just truly, truly stupendous. Let's have a chat. And mm-hmm. um, got honest with her about, you know, some things. And she was like, wow, thank you for telling me. You know, and I, the thing I kept impressing upon her over and over is the sooner, you know, you come to 
wherever your own growth is, whatever that is, um, the bottom line of how you grew up or how you, you know, felt. I remember a therapist going like, no, that's called neglect and abuse. And I was like, what? And my sponsor, a couple of rounds through the steps has literally taken a pen and said, let me see that. Okay. Crossing this out. I was a kid. She was like, write this down. I was a child and I was doing my best. Mm -hmm. Wow. Now let's talk about the real things that you're accountable for. Sure. So it was like, the taking um, responsibility where you should and letting yourself off the hook where you should and try and do discern that exactly. fine line exactly uh, i have a similar my mom was an alcoholic mm-hmm. i've got this woman astrid in my home group that she she's really tried to help me look at some of those same things because when i was growing up she was drinking them you know very heavily and trying to trying to look at her as someone who was neglectful towards me right in that way it's it's very difficult for me yeah because my brain for years and years and years was telling me you know no it was just a tough child just a little bit of a tough childhood it's Mm. it's okay you know it's fine and and then i got really super angry at work and i had issues with authority constantly Mm. and i ended up uh, getting chased into doing a little outside help and the that was the bottom line but doing the outside help was really impressed upon me as this is the eighth and ninth step for the behavior you're carrying into the world Mm. because it just got to a point where the things in my recovery having been through the steps a couple of times the things in my recovery that i either choose to ignore or i'm too afraid to look at will grow in power exponentially until until I apply the steps to them. Yeah. And, um, and I'm grateful that I did. I'm glad that she's talking to you about it. Is it? Sure. Is it what? Is it, or is that something you're like currently working on or just? Yeah, I mean, it's an, always an ongoing process. It's it really, those conversations happened a while ago and really with her, I would almost, she was, I don't know. She could just smell it on you. Well, yeah, she she wasn't <laughs> quite a sponsor to me, but in a way she was. You know, I've I've been through the steps a couple times too, in a very formal way with yeah, a sponsor yeah. who gave me instructions and right, I did the right, homework right. assignments and we had the discussions and I made the lists and I mm-hmm. took the actions and blah blah blah. Mm-hmm. But then I had this really organic um, phase of my recovery that happened at about three years, three and a half years, something like that, with this woman. And it was much different, you know, but in a lot of ways she was, it was just as impactful and transformative and it was really became more organic. It was really a discussion of a lot of the underlying principles and the steps in a way that felt sort of applicable and boiled down and, and not so, um, rote and not so staff, um, stiff, you know, but that's one uh, thing that she liked is she, she was, she would like to direct my attention towards that among other things, you know, right at the beginning we would talk about you know what was it like growing up right and uh yeah she would just the idea of you know having a mom who was passed out drunk on the couch for like my formative years yeah and her suggesting like maybe that wasn't like the most emotionally available right uh person to have you know around for you to depend on in the years of your life that were where you needed somebody yeah you know and i can i still can't like i don't know am i supposed to be like what well, I don't know what attitude I'm supposed to take towards that. I can say that I can see, like you talked about that day of work, I can see possibly how I'm carrying and misplacing a lot of stuff that might have happened then 
um, into other areas of my life. Oh, yeah. But I can't. I haven't had an aha moment where I've drawn a line from point A to point B, you know, and still for the most part, you know, I've got, I see my mother and as, uh, in a, in a way that's was, I imagine her as always being very loving and, um, and I think about her in the highest esteem and Astrid would, 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 uh, suggest that I'm, that that's delusional of me to do. Interesting. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. I, I, We'll get to that. I've got a, I've got a, okay. I've got a, I've got a, a way to look at that one. That's um. Do you? How do you feel like with your level of honesty and your level of intimacy in your life? Um. Yeah. Again, it's kind of twofold. A lot of the stuff we've been talking about thus far has talked a lot about this already. You know, we just mm-hmm. spent a while talking about this idea of denial and what you say about the secret. You know, when it becomes a secret, it becomes, it becomes a, a problem. Problem. Right. Right. In the big book, it talks about um, having a double life. More than most people, the alcoholic leads a double life, it says. Of course. Something like that. So when I was drinking or whatever, that was evident enough because I had all this, you know, stuff that I did that I was hiding in the, you know, my financial life and where I was going between, you know, wherever. And and then I had the other life and it was sort of separated in that way, you know, but now when I'm sober, it looks a little bit different. And honestly, for me, I relate with the, that sentiment more, just as much, if not more now that I'm sober, you know, there's, for me, there's always something that I'm hiding. Um, I'm not an open book. Um, there are a lot of secrets I have, attitudes I have towards myself, towards the world that I have not shared with anybody. Um, and probably when I went through my fourth and fifth step with my sponsor, for whatever reason at that time, I let it all go. But for me, the stuff continues, you know? And yeah, so yeah, it's hard to say I'm, there's what do they call it cash register cash, cash register, register honesty, honesty. Mm-hmm. so i'm great at cash register honesty <laughs> yeah you know that's yeah. easy now and yeah. i was bad at that before so in that sense i've made a lot of spiritual progress right mm-hmm. you know but am i really honest you know oh god the truth is i don't know i think that really that there's this self thing you know that is not honest that it will never it will it it is it's in its dna to be um, calculating to be manipulative, to be uh, fueled by fear and secrecy, and that is it is static and it does not improve. Mm-hmm. I feel like the program in recovery, all it's there to do is to wean me off of my identification with that which I'm not. You know, so at some point, I <laughs> I'm not constantly calling someone up and dumping all my shit on them every day. That's mm-hmm. not the way my recovery looks. Maybe I could do more of it. I don't know, yeah. mm-hmm. but at some point, it's like okay there's always going to be this stuff, but yeah. that's not who I am. You know, mm-hmm. that is just a voice in my head. That's got a little agenda and I can be reminded that it is what it is. And I am separate from that. Yeah, the yin and the yang. Yeah. Do you ever see yourself as being an open book someday? Like the open to the possibility. It's of interesting. That? I had this great experience. Uh, I thought it was great. <laughs> Before I got sober, I, um, my last, uh, what do you call it? My last sort of stand before yeah. I got sober, I was living with my uh, ex-girlfriends at her parents' house. 
I had like, you know, I'd. Because it was working. (laughs) The sex was good. (laughs) No, man, I was on opiates. There was no sex going on. (laughs) But, uh, and in the end of my, uh, I was watching Law and Order all day. She worked at Trader Joe's. I had, I was going to Berkeley College of Music in Boston, but I had like, you know, I'd all but, you know, flunked out of school. I, my dad wouldn't have me because he, you know, anyway, this was my last stand, you know, living in with my ex-girlfriend's parents under false pretense. And I remember watching the movie, The Crucible. Um, it's about the Salem witch hunt, right? Yeah. There's like this affair that takes place in this like very uh, self-righteous Protestant community. And they try to hide this. And in their effort to hide it, things get way, way out of control. And uh, I remember somehow in seeing that, I remember reflecting on my own life, and I realized if I could be absolutely honest about every corner of my life, that I would be absolutely happy. And then immediately after, my heart fell because I knew that that was an impossibility for me. Hmm. Uh, hmm. So, so, it so, might change. I'm, I, I'm one of those people I do, I don't know when it ha- it was just all of a sudden in my recovery, um, I became that kind of person who calls her sponsor every day, mm-hmm. every day. Yeah, I've, and we text throughout the day. Yeah, and it just kind of became one of those those things where um, I wouldn't call it so much dumping. It's dumping when I let it build up, mm-hmm. but when it's just, hey, I'm having this really crazy thought. Sure. Like I had to, I had to let go of that a couple days ago. Like my brain is really beating up on me for not doing enough, even though I'm doing as much as I physically can. Mm-hmm. And, um, these are the specific things it's telling me. And, you know, the response was just like, well, this is this, this is this, don't do that action that your brain is telling you you should be doing. Cause you know, it's harmful for you mm-hmm. emotionally, spiritually, and physically at this time. Boom. Are you holding on to any secrets now? Right now, currently in your life. That's a good question. Um, Oh, no, not really. I don't, I can't imagine. <sighs> I can't imagine. I'm a oversharer in mm-hmm. general and I don't, none that come to the top of my head. Mm-hmm. I'm sure where the secrets kind of live is a key where, where I struggle with honesty is I'll have people in my life that I love and appreciate. And I, can see stuff that maybe they're doing that they shouldn't be, or I can see things that it's just none of my business to comment on. And in my mind, I'll be like, well, you know, so-and-so is like this, but I wouldn't tell that person to their face. And I, and I'm still struggling like with where that line is because where I get in trouble a lot is telling, uh, saying what I really think a lot if that makes any sense. No, it absolutely makes sense. Yeah, and it's mostly just reading someone's inventory, and I shouldn't do that anyway. I should just stay in my lane. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll occasionally say like, hey, this behavior you're doing, please don't do it. And the response is always, because I have that resting therapist face and people do disclose <laughs> a lot of personal information to me, the response is always like, huge? Because it's uh, like, you're betraying me, you know? And I have to... A, learn like, okay, so why am I, why am I looking at this person in this way? And a lot of that I tell my sponsor. Mm-hmm. Most of it, as soon as I become aware of it, I tell my sponsor. Mm-hmm. Um, 
or I share it at meaning level in a way that is not incriminating. You know what I mean? Sure. I The nice thing about expanding my world past my, the rooms is that I no longer, if I have drama in my life, it's no longer about the person sitting across the table from me. It's usually about um, living life on life's terms in the presence of other people who are all working on themselves mm-hmm. in different ways. And so I have to get... Um, I find it a bit easier to get honest about like in that setting. Whereas before everybody in my world was in my 12 step program in a very small town at one point, I spent my first two years in a really small town. So it's like the same 10 people mm-hmm. in my life. Um, we have such a gift being in a city because there is like true, you can really find anonymity on the other hand, you can really lose accountability because those ta- mm-hmm. same 10 people you see every day will be up your ass when you're fucking up. Yeah. And um, uh, so, yeah. So I would say for, I mean, for the most part within reason, it's always hard to say because what kind of assholes like I'm 2000% honest sure. all mm-hmm. the time, but I do find it more comfortable <laughs> to be, because you know, you I know it's another like a, I got another trick question would be if I were to ask you if you were humble, right? Oh, right. Like, yeah. Um, <laughs> no, I'm a comic. I have to have yeah. the hubris to go on stage and go, these thoughts are something everyone should hear from a microphone, yeah. you know, and, and you should pay me for them. Yeah. You know, that's... I'm the funniest one in the room. Exactly. <laughs> I will be the one to turn this shit show around. Um, but, yeah, it's... Uh, I, do, I do my best. I've always struggled with, um, you know, like... I've, I don't know the way to put it. I I don't keep. I've always wanted the perfect relationship. I want someone in recovery that I can just text the crazy thoughts to. Oh, I did and, yeah. I know, like three or four or people. I whatever. could be like, yo, mm-hmm. this is insane. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you could text me, Chris. Come on, yeah. we're buddies. <laughs> so you don't have those people in your life, or you? Can... No, they come and go for me. Oh. So I. Why do they go? Where do they go? They stay there, but my relationship with them changes. So like that woman that I talked about. Um, we had this like couple weeks that was, I've, you know, up to that point, I'd never been so honest with somebody, but it was great when there was the anonymity, right? Right. When she was just another person who was in recovery and it, we, we were, had this, we were doing this thing. We were, right. we were working towards a kind of this goal. There was this spiritual context mm-hmm. to what we were doing. But then once we developed a relationship, then for me, I no longer can do that. Or I have a resistance towards doing it. I get that. I no longer want to tell them because I'm afraid they're going to, I'm going to be judged by it right. or that they're going to give me directions to stop it. And they're going to become my mom or my dad, or I'm going to feel guilty or ashamed. But there's, I get these little gifts of people who come from time to time in my recovery. That's the way it's looked for me. I haven't shared or talked to a lot of people. Most people have the sponsor that they call every day for 20 years or don't. Yeah. But for me, I've had people that have come in. I've had the the sponsors that have taken me through the steps and then I've been gifted with these shorter spiritual relationships I've had with people Yeah, that they come and then they go. And in a lot of ways I feel like that's just the way it's supposed to be for me and it's worked Hmm. out great. But I've also really wanted the guy that I can just, you know, that we can without any judgment dump all of the, you know, I would love to be, you know, well, what happened was for me, and I don't, I don't know if this like helps us any of that. What happened was, is my, 
um, it, through a weird series of events, I fell in with this group of women in Long Beach. I started going to this women's meeting and I honestly started going to this women's meeting. Before that, I used to have really intense friendships with people that would unravel in ugly ways. Mm-hmm. And um, I started going to this uh, this meeting because I was trying to, I just moved to Long Beach. I was trying to like, be a part of my fellowship and I was getting hit on a lot and that wasn't a thing I was used to in a small town I was there was a little there was a little cleaner boundary and I was really creeped out mm-hmm. and so a friend of mine said you know why don't you go to women's meetings and I was like oh I don't I don't really <laughs> yeah. like women's meetings so I show up to this women's meeting I finally get in enough pain to go to this women's meeting I go to this women's meeting and it's the most beautiful spiritual experience like yeah. everybody there was had like 30 some odd years or whatever. And there was this woman who would sit by her best friend, these two lesbians that would just sit by, they would sit by each other and they'd sit by the door. And they would, when somebody was kind of shared out the side of their neck, they would kind of snicker. And I would, and it's so funny because it's not spiritual. They would sort of like take a sigh or a deep breath or they were kind of, I could tell they were really close and they were kind of funny. And I spent the whole, uh, like a whole like month or two inching closer and closer to them because I also liked what they had to share. And I inched closer and closer to them and finally ended, I ended up um, asking one of them to be, because I had had a long distance sponsor for a long time that was kind of falling apart. And I uh, I showed up to the meeting and I said, I'm either going to ask Kathy or Debbie, two different ladies, two different mm-hmm. sides of the room, different mm-hmm. sides of the coin. So I'm going to ask Kathy or Debbie, whoever I see first, God, I'm just going to ask because okay. I do a lot of that flipping the coin with my recovery is mm-hmm. what I realize because otherwise I'll overthink it. Mm-hmm. So I was like, whoever I lay eyes on first and I walk in and neither of them are there that week. They both had something come up mm-hmm. and then I go to a meeting the next day and the only person in that room was Kathy. And, wow. um, and I think for that sponsorship time, she was meant to hold me accountable in a way because her problem, the reason why she would snicker, she has very little tolerance for any bullshit. Mm-hmm. So I would come to her with my, you know, my education and my being raised by a therapist and my this, this and this. And I come to her with all this delicate language and she would just see right through it and be like, you're full of shit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, um, and I got really used to just saying, this is the truth just getting there because it was a little too painful to dance around it and then she sponsored me for a couple years and my sponsee sister at the time really and i bonded over loving stand-up comedy Mm -hmm. as people and uh we bonded and then we uh i got kicked out of my house it was a long story the city zoned my apartment inappropriately so i came home one day and the city was like you don't live here anymore i was like fuck (laughs) so i called my sponsor and she said honey i have no idea this was kathy she goes i have no idea uh why god is because i had been laid off that week like everything was changing she said i don't know what's going on but god wants everything in your life to change right now and then she called me an hour later and said my roommate's moving out do you want to move in Mm mm-hmm and I was like, you can't sponsor me if I live there. And she goes, and we both at the same time go, Caitlin. Hey. And I ended up, that's how I ended up with the sponsor that I have now. And we had already had, we had to sit down and really talk about in that very Alan on way, our, the nature of our relationship is shifting a little bit. Mm-hmm. And these are the things um, I'm, I've always been told, be aware of your sponsor's strengths and your sponsor's weaknesses. So knowing the things 
that you might have to go to another person to because maybe that's something that's like it they they have it on a daily basis on lock but the minute they get a taste of that whether it's like codependency or a certain type of fear or whatever they might get they might not be able to give you a clear perspective sure. so we were really aware of each other going into it and then we just kind of had a really rational conversation about this is our friendship and this is the sponsorship relationship and sometimes on the phone she'll say okay i'm going to give you the sponsor response first and that is um, like I had somebody steal something from me who I was living with and she said my sponsor, the sponsor response is like, you should probably find a new place to live and you need to pray for that person and also keep an inventory of what you have and maybe hide some of your better valuables. And I was like, okay. And then she goes in the friend response is, if you punched her, I wouldn't be ashamed of you. <laughs> and, and I was like, okay, so it's like one of those two things. And then we both laughed because we know that both responses are coming from a place of love and they can coexist in the same person. And so it was like once we kind of like figured out that relationship, it just became really easy because we already had that rapport. Mm. And she's already, and in that time, I became a stand-up comic. She kind of has gone through the whole thing. So I can literally text her a thing that's very inside baseball about my current career. And she totally gets it and knows how to respond. And she will break it down. And and that's not the first time somebody said that to me. I had a sponsee sister in San Luis Obispo. Her name is Lara. She's a delight. And she used to say, do you want the friend response or the program response? Wow. And sometimes I'd go, I want the friend response. And she'd say, I'm sorry, baby, it's going to get better. Yeah. Um, that person was a jerk. And then I'll go, okay, what's the program response? And that always was the spiritual equivalent of just getting hit in the head with a two by four because she very clearly can see patterns in other people. Mm-hmm. And um, she had to learn to start saying that to people because what she was finding, she was unintentionally causing harm and mixing the boundaries of the relationship and not knowing how to shift gears appropriately, which is something that I guess I'm working on right now too, is being uh, a little more upfront, especially with the comic slash, uh, you know, people in my life. Cause I don't want to give them the real like, psh, 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 you know, but occasionally I want to, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, um, you gotta have a backbone, even though like in the program they teach like, uh, principle before character always right oh principle before character but sometimes the character ain't fucking worth the work man like oh god you it, know what? It, it makes me yeah it, that's something i deal with mm-hmm. a lot it's just like you want to you know not see the bad side and i do the good work and i show up and i lend an ear but then sometimes you're like what the fuck is your problem and so then you just have to like even backpedal even further. Then I have to call my sponsor. Then I have to do a 10th step. Mm-hmm. And then I'm like, oh, okay, hey, uh, sorry about this. But th- these are certain things you cannot do. So even like I've heard from people that they say, oh, like uh, the program, you know, watch out. It's going to make you weak. It's gonna- No. No. It's put so much armor on me. No, because when I say no, I mean it. And people know that. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> they no. know now that, you know, uh, I'm a... I'm a friendly faced dude from the South. A lot of people in this town have stepped on me and I've allowed it to. But then now with the program, it's helped me build a backbone. You know, me getting away from my people pleaser uh, defect. Sure. I guess there's always a fine line. Yeah. Mm Because it's just then you you go try to sponsor the whole world and you can get into a lot of problems. Right. Exactly. Go tell everyone their defects, a character and try to 
you know, put a mirror in everyone's face and burn all and those it's bridges. Not always <laughs> it's not always effective. And right? that's a defect yeah. in its own. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's, but then that, the other one is right. People pleasing, right. you know, mm-hmm. being just, I'm going to co-sign, I'm going to coddle. I'm not going to tell the truth. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be afraid to be confront, you know, of confrontation or mm-hmm. right. whatever it is. Yeah. But right. to get back to like the sponsorship intimacy thing, it's, it's possible. Mm-hmm. I don't know. That's just sort of the series of events that led me to having the kind of, but I think it was just a level of surrender I got to. I started saying things like I'm behaving and feeling in ways unbecoming of my clean time mm-hmm. because I was wild. I was behaving and feeling ways that I felt when I was brand new. Yeah. And once I realized I was like, Oh, I'm profoundly uncomfortable. What do I need to say? And that's really a thing that I've said to both sponsors and therapists is uh what do I need to say to stop feeling like I could punch a puppy in the face? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they're like, oh, this stuff. Yeah. So, I don't know. How do, you, how do you deal with your fear and anxiety? Um, I don't know. It's a good question. That's, in a lot of ways, what this is sort of all about. You know, mm-hmm. For me, is learning how to deal with that. <laughs> yeah it's become a technique or a practice, you know? So all the stuff we talk about, you know, the conversation with the sponsor, trying to help somebody reach my hand out, be of service, go to a meeting, pray, meditate. You know, I could probably go on a little bit and list some other things which are useful, you know, for that. And it's a good question. I don't even know if I have a very succinct answer okay. for you. No, that's okay. How, how about this one? What, do you, what defects do you have to work on the most? Um, that's a good question, too. You know, um, you know, when I think about this, the, the first thing that comes to mind for me is I have this motto, which is, um, I'll quit before you fire me. Uh, oh yeah that was uh that's what my resume looks like yeah Yeah, or like fuck you i'm out i I can't lose if i don't play right i can't uh i can't you can't break up with me if i never if i never look you in the eye yeah sounds like defeatism Uh yeah so that's been i've i've made a lot of really bad decisions in sobriety that have i haven't been very caring and i've been hurtful Mm. And out of a fear of abandonment, what I've actually done is abandoned. You know, it's one of those things, right? It's, it's, there's a built in hypocrisy, right? Um, and working on that has been, you know, even last night, I, I, um, I don't know if it's worth getting into specifics, but I, I, I sent a message to somebody and I didn't get a response. Mm hmm. And when I saw that I didn't get a response, I was very hurt. <laughs> yeah. Got ghosted. I got ghosted. And my first, my knee-jerk reaction is to wipe that person off the face of my <laughs> universe, you know? Yeah. To destroy every evidence of their ever existing anywhere in my mind or in my heart. You, call, my you, called, you called Arnold Schwarzenegger to erase Pretty them? Much. Yeah. You know? And I've gotten so much better at not giving into that knee-jerk reaction, mm-hmm. you know, backing down to that. And I talked to someone who wasn't in the program. I've got a close friend who's in her own way, on her own spiritual path. Yeah. And I just described the situation in a way that was 
honest, you know, and I just said that I was hurt, you know, that I wanted to talk to this person and I was hurt that they didn't want to talk to me. And I cried a little bit. Damn. Yeah. I almost think I can feel it now. My eyes were getting a little watery. And then I didn't want to delete them anymore, you know, and then it was okay. Did, did they ever get back to you? No. I'll make a call. That was just, yeah, you make a call. <laughs> call Schwarzenegger. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so I've almost made a rule of my, you know, and now I, there's a lot of, especially in romance, there's a lot of game playing of, well, they took two hours to respond, so I'm going to take three. Uh, and I've, yeah. I've lately, I've really made an effort to just respond right away. And if they want to, if they want to reject yeah. me, that's on them, but I'm not going to reject you. You know, I'm here. Yeah. yeah. That's, I had this conversation the other day and <laughs> this is kind of like on the same token, but it's um, kind of not like the problem with a lot of today's communication as it is evolving. But I think matters of the heart are something that evolve through time, not through like within, not even within a generation, I feel, because we're all dealing with so many difficulties with dating. Mm -hmm. When I met my fiance, it was long distance. You know, given that I had to pitch this weird idea to her in our eyes a weird idea no texting phone calls only mm. i'm here for this that i'm wanting a real relationship no texting and she was like what and i was like yeah because i i had to go with the whole oh, i'm a comic route you know i say a lot of shitty things or like i'm very sarcastic a lot of things will be taken out of context because mm, you're gonna sit there you're gonna analyze all these text messages with your girls and they're gonna be like they're gonna have 101 interpretations there's fucking 13 chefs in the in the kitchen you know mm -hmm. that's bullshit that's bullshit so and we didn't even do the social media thing we didn't do the uh, we didn't add each other on social media we didn't tell anyone about our relationship mm. uh, and, and except for like a few exclusives but then for the most part we just got to know each other organically through just talking on the phone, through, okay, yeah, maybe Skype, maybe Snapchat, mm -hmm. but there was no reading. There was more listening, mm -hmm. looking, hearing, actually mm -hmm. hearing, not just, you know, and listening to each other. And that right there, we were able to escape all that fucking pain that we're dealing with. Okay, I'll get off my relationship tip, but no, yeah, that just, I, I, ooh, that frustrates me so much when people, because I dealt with that before this relationship mm -hmm. in, to get to a decent relationship or the beginning of a decent relationship that became an amazing one i deleted all my apps i stopped with that texting shit i stopped with the ghosting i stopped with the stalking i stopped with all that stuff and it was so relieving mm -hmm. so relieving and it just put me in a great place mm. to really let my alcoholism flourish That's nice. <laughs> 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 well <laughs> that's the thing sometimes we we grow in one area yeah, of, of our course. life and then yeah. get a little weird in the others of course. but yeah I've, I've recently i'm in a relationship with a normie and uh i would go in the early stages i'd go through the the text roller coaster and um i would always i would text my sponsor and i'd be like you know what i just i think this is it i don't think he wants to talk to me anymore mm. And literally, she called me and be like, "All right, like, what's what's going on with this fear?" And as she was on the phone, he texted me back, mm -hmm. and mm. it would just always be that kind of rhythm of, I was very quick to be like, "Well, this is it. This is now. He has this. Mm -hmm. Here's all the reasons why I'm gonna get rejected." And then, sure enough, it would change. You know, so I think sitting with it is, but that's such a that's so real. Yeah. It's mm. such a fucking. And the real tricky thing, thing is like the f I hope they don't reject me. Mm -hmm. And then 
God forbid they don't reject me. Does that make sense? But also, yeah. exact yeah, it's um, in my prayers every morning. I I write them out because I'm very scattered. So I write them out, and one of the things I always go, uh, thank you, God, for everything I've been given and everything I didn't get. Hmm. Because a lot of those people that went out of my life, thank God they went out of my life. We would have, we would have killed each other, you know. Um, so that's always, it's getting into that, that gratitude of no, that wasn't for me. Mm-hmm. Whatever that thing was, that job, that person, that car, that this, that that, wasn't for me. That's for someone else, mm-hmm. you know. So I don't know. Let's. Uh, what is okay? How do you experience forgiveness? Mm-hmm. You touched on this earlier with your mom. Yeah, I guess so. Um, I don't know. I experience a lot of resentment mm-hmm. in my life. It's uh, it's I. I mean, I just a little story I told about the person who didn't respond to me the other day or last night. Right? She didn't respond, and I wanted to cast her off and yeah. throw her away and blah 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 and I was angry at her and, uh, and I had a moment of forgiveness with her okay. but for, I know forgiveness for me it's uh, resentment is is like it's this self perpetuating angry thought I have with someone because they're essentially not acting the way that I want them to mm. they didn't you know they didn't get the script they don't understand that they have a role to play and they're not playing it correctly. <laughs> they're not walking that line the way that she, they should. They don't understand that we have a contract that they signed in very permanent ink and it states all the different ways that they need to behave so that my happiness can be protected and insured. Jesus. And, and so the resentment is this, it's like a spiritual rash. It's just below the surface it's the argument that I have in the shower, right? Mm-hmm. It's with the person that's not acting the way that I want them to. And it's it's devastating, you know. In the big book, it says a bunch of stuff about it. You know, it's the number one offender. It kills more alcoholics than anything else. There's all these death threats, all these things, you know. Yeah, you go through life with the, uh, the whole I wish a motherfucker would attitude. Mm-hmm. It's really, it's a lot to carry. Sure. What do they say? It's I'm not punished because of my anger. I'm punished by my anger or something like mm-hmm. that. Right, so the the forgiveness really at the end of the day is is me becoming willing to drop that, um, let that go, to stop thinking about that. But I first I have to recognize that I can't stop thinking about it. You mm-hmm. know, that's like step one for me. Because we find it so much fun to do, right? We're just I like, guess, oh, I guess it just, just love having this thing in my head. It's, it's like I'm not even thinking. It's like I'm being thunk. You know, Oof. it's mm-hmm. like yeah. there's a parasite, a mental parasite that is just spewing this. It's like a broken record, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Boom, boom. And I can try anything. That's why I'm on my phone for four hours a night. Yeah. Or that's why I pull out the bag of candy. Or that's why I hit up the toxic ex-girlfriend. Or that's why mm-hmm. I do this and that. All these things are motivated by me trying to find a way out of this. Yeah. Right. This bondage of self. It's this, you know, and so at some point I have to sort of admit my powerlessness even to that, you know, is that I can't stop thinking about it. I can't stop taking the bait. I can't stop falling for it. It's right you know? there every, in your face every day. Yeah. And it's killing me, you know, and I become very willing, just like I become open, you know, to I don't know what what it is exactly. You know, but for me, recovery has been this ongoing lesson in compassion and humility, 
and really wanting that very badly. Um, wanting to be a person who's forgiving, who's not vindictive, who doesn't need to take the upper hand, who wants to love people the way they are and to be really tolerant of people and not be a mat to be walked on, but mm -hmm. still be someone who, you know, sees people the way they are, you know, and not as just an obstacle or as a threat or as something to be a resource for me or all of these things, you know. You know, but there's a lot of reasons why I don't measure up to that standard for whatever reason. Yeah, uh, like being a person. Being a person. Yeah, I think it's 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 we all do our best to live by our spiritual principles, but on occasion there will be deviation on account of we're human. Sure, and that that term gets thrown away a, a lot. Gets thrown around a lot of meetings is. You know, it's just, a, it's just like in the big book, it'll say we relax and take it easy. We don't struggle or it'll say we claim spiritual progress, not spiritual perfection. We aren't saints, you know, mm -hmm. I'm a big, I'm, I've spent a lot of time eviscerating myself because I wasn't perfect or whatever. Right. Yeah. And so there's something great about, you know, a, I guess it's a good, I don't know a better way to put it. Maybe is just accepting my humanness, yeah. you know, and all those things, you know. So and that's big. great. It's there's a thing with other people where it's, it's, I don't know. It's even, it's I, it's hard to tell if it's really about them or if it's about me, right? Uh, there's people I think are in a lot of ways are just mirrors for us, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. resentments too, right? What do they say? Like you, there's one finger pointing at them, there's three pointing back at you, right? Or like I've found even if I can't see it at the time, I have come to really believe that no matter what I resent someone for, that what I think they're doing to me is actually what I'm doing to them. You know, mm -hmm. that there's a, there's a flip, you know, that like they always get the charge, but I always do the time. Right. Mm. And no matter what I think they're doing to me, it's like, I'm really sort of doing it to me. The calls are sort of coming from inside the house, but it's amazing the way that other people, you know, it's, it's hard to tell whether I'm letting myself off the hook or if I'm letting them yeah. off the hook. Does that make any sense? Yeah, definitely. Mm -hmm. What's been your most surprising amends? Um, I don't know. I, you know, like again, like in the big book, it'll say the, you know, most oftentimes the unexpected happens. Right. So a lot of people have stories where they thought that they were going to, you know, they thought they were going to be thrown in jail and it turns out right. that the other person was in recovery and they gave him a 25 year ring and some magical, beautiful thing happened. And I don't have any stories that are really like that. I've made a lot of amends. The most surprising thing about the amends process is that I did it in the first place. Right. My first, my first, my first ventures at recovery, that was always the, the step on the wall that I was always not willing to do. I was terrified to do it my big aha moments didn't happen in nine. It was always just this thing that I went to do that I, I was always terrified to do. And I did it and I always walked out alive, you know, and I'm happy that I made all the amends that I did make, you know. I have some significant amends. I have some amends that I remember more than others. I have a lot of really powerful amends that I can't even describe to you now because I don't remember the details of them, but there's a lot of beautiful amends that I've made outside of recovery where I didn't get a script from a sponsor, where I wasn't planning to make it, where it happened very organically, you know, and maybe it didn't happen in a way that the big book specifically detailed it should happen, you know? Mm -hmm. um, but, it, but it worked for you, and that's all that matters. Yeah. It worked. So, you know, I don't know, man. That's the best yeah. I got. 
That's good. I love that. That's great. I ju- I just recently, um, not recently, but it, the, it there was a change in the amends process for me when I stopped saying, "I'm sorry if I did," "I'm sorry if I hurt your," "I'm sorry if you felt," and started saying, "I've caused you harm. How can I make it right?" Mm-hmm. Regardless of what I feel about the situation, regardless of what you know, just being like, "Nope, cause that person harm. Let's make that right." Yeah, you know, and those are those kind of like spontaneous organic resentment or not resentments, but um, amends that you give. It's like, oh shit, mm-hmm. I've stepped on your toes. Mm-hmm. I apologize. Yeah, and it's great when you can really s- see it and mean it too. Right. Rather than it's just something that I worked out through an inventory process, and but when I can actually go like, yeah, that I shouldn't have said that. You know, that wasn't yeah. kind. Yeah. And I wouldn't have wanted to be treated that way. And that's not the way I want to treat you. Right. You know, I want to treat you with respect and I'm sorry if I didn't. And yeah. Whereas initially it's like, you gotta, you gotta get jujitsued into the floor by that resentment before you're willing to say anything about it. So how do you experience, uh, your, what, like, what does your recovery look like on the day to day? Uh, I don't know. I, I, I've got a very like set morning and night prayer routine that Mm -hmm. I largely do just out of like respect to the process I went through. I don't think it's the most meaningful and helpful part of things. It's almost done out of a sense of superstition. It's almost done out of a sense of if, you know, I just paying homage to recovery, you know? Um, Can I, can I, can I propose something to that? Sure. Um, I, I have that too. And I went through that same thought process and I stopped doing it for a while mm-hmm. and shit went out of control. Oh yeah. And I so don't, it's true. It is true. <laughs> you do it or else. Do like it. Everything else in recovery. Well, just, I was like, oh, what's the easiest way I can get back to feeling decent? Yeah. And then I was like, oh, that really simple routine I had, mm, yeah. I could do that. Gotta, gotta put those crystals back in your pocket, man. Right. <laughs> but I work. interrupted you. You were going to say more. Uh, yeah, I don't know what I was going to say. You totally took me off my train um, of thought. I'm oh, sorry. It was going to be, I know it was going to be brilliant. That's all uh, I remember about it. But the detail. Shooting stuff. <laughs> The exact details of it, I've totally lost me. No. Um, but no, I guess well, the question is, what does my spiritual practice look like? Yeah, just like what is your day to day? Like, yeah. how does it how does it work for you on the on the daily? Yeah, like, really, at the end of the day, uh, not literally at the end of the day, but you know, as a figurative speech, um, it seems like developing a relationship with God. Uh, conscious contact would be a good word, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Carrying the vision of God's will into all my activities. The idea of of not getting sucked away Mm -hmm. by what's not happening and just seeing God here, like right now as I'm talking into this microphone, you know, just make an effort to bring God into this moment and to think about God and not to see you, but to see God, you know, Um, and to have that constantly going on to the best of my ability is the meat and potatoes of really what my program looks like. You know, I go to some meetings, I do the prayer stuff, I make phone calls when I need to, I try to stay honest, I inventory if I have to. But at the end of the day, all that is doing is it's buying me a little space so maybe in the moment that I'm in, I can remember to talk to God rather than talk to me. Because what is hell really except for an unending conversation with myself? Right. And if I'm not talking to God, who am I talking to? Right. And speaking of God, what's that relationship like? It's been a it's been a tough one, you know. We've had a. You're a smart guy. You strike me as the kind of person who went through the. I'm too smart for this God word. Yeah, I was. Yeah, I was even like anti-religious. I was really into. Yeah, I was really into um, anti-religious stuff for a long time. <laughs> I was brought up in a church, like a lot of people, and 
grew away from it. And so that was the main thing which kept me out of uh, recovery. Tell them about the t-shirt. The t-shirt on oh, here? It was actually a... Because I went to the step meeting with Alex. Okay. Right? And the first step meeting I went to, I was in the step process. And we were talking about step two. So I shared about a step two experience I had. We had to talk about examples in our life that are... Um, that display a struggle with a relationship with God. And we had to relate them to the book. And we had to do some things that were assignment oriented. You know, whatever. And so I shared in a group setting one of my examples. And one of my examples was that one of my favorite t-shirts in high school that I like to wear on the back in big bold letters. It simply said, covering the entire back of the t-shirt, Jesus is a cunt. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and the front of the t-shirt had a nun and she had a cross, and she was masturbating with the cross. Tight. Yeah. So that I thought that was great, and I had a list of other T-shirts that said other things on them that were satanic or anti-Christian. Cool. And I thought it was all great. There was a big yeah. group of there was a group of musicians in uh, Norway that, in like the '90s, they burned down like yeah. hundreds of churches, and I really looked up to them. Like yeah. a lot of people might look up to astronauts or politicians, maybe. Yeah. When they're kids, I really looked up to these guys. Mm -hmm. So this is a little bit of the mindset that I had when I came into recovery. So of course I wasn't gonna like buy it, you know, buy into it, and I didn't want to read the big biblical blue book, or you know, I was turned off by a lot of those things. So I mean. So it's been an interesting go, mm -hmm. you know, um, it's been now it's, uh, now, uh, it's different. Obviously I, um, spirituality has become the most important thing in my life. Right. I'm comfortable enough using the word God. Mm -hmm. Um, it doesn't make me bristle with antagonism anymore. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, for me, yeah, my prayer life is really the most important part of my life. You know, it's like there's nothing that really matters except being spiritually awake right now. That nothing else is really important. And if I can get inside that simple idea, there's a sense of peace and solace to be had there, which goes beyond anything else. Right? How does your higher power communicate with you? Um... In like the you know the fog and the shower door sometimes yeah. it'll unfog and these messages will be there that'll lovely you yeah. too wow <laughs> I think yeah. you guys are haunted that's <laughs> yeah that's, that's a ghost that's bro that's <laughs> creation yeah. my higher power speaks to me through other people ah. <laughs> through ghosts <laughs> is it odd or is it God is it <laughs> <laughs> so funny um, I want that t-shirt <laughs> yeah yeah um I don't know. I don't know, man. It's, I don't think God, it's just, it doesn't, it's, it's doesn't, it doesn't come to me in the way that thoughts do, you know, it's, it's comes from a different place. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of people talk about like, well, is this self or is it God? You know, mm -hmm. it's like, it's for me, it's like always self in a way, you mm -hmm. know, if it's on that level of thought or form or belief, if it's any of these things which I can sort of look at that way, it's it's not God. And the God thing is always sort of beyond that. The God is just a little three-letter word that's the best we can use mm -hmm. to describe something which is prior to all of the stuff that I can think of, you know. It's the great reality. It's not, you know, it's, it's there's one who has all power. You know, it's, it's, 
it's the truth, you know, and it's, it's sort of going to be okay regardless of what I do. You know, it's like, mm. there's that good analogy of like, um, it's like a movie screen, right? You go see a movie and you get really caught up on what happens in the movie. Like you want them to fall in love. You want the villain to perish. You want things to go one way or another. You're emotionally invested in the way that it works, right? And the movie ends and the credits roll and then it's over and all that's left is the screen, you know, the entire time the movie was playing, nobody noticed the screen. But if the screen weren't there, there'd be no movie. The movie's not real. It's just a projection, which is, you know, is displayed on the screen. But it's what it's what gets all my interest and attention. Hmm. But if I went and tried to reach out and grab the movie, I'd have no luck because it's not really there. Mm-hmm. It's just a screen, you know. And so for me, God is something like that, you know. it's It's trying to communicate or commune with maybe is a better way or identify with or get in touch with or have a relationship with that um, mm. within me. Cool. Alright. Wow. We're at that last question. Uh-oh. Did you did we do we have a fun run question? Do you have one? You wanted to do it. Let's see. Fun run question. That would be for the twelfth one. Remember? You were like, I want to do, I want to do a listener question. A listener question. Oh no, no! I was saying like, what I want us to do is to, you know, after each episode, for mm-hmm. us to uh, shout out our email, and oh. I would love our listeners to chime in. Now, I want you guys to be a part of this because we're getting so much out of it. As I, I would like to think that you guys are also getting so much out of it. So I, I want to interact with our, yeah. our listeners. Definitely. Did we do that this week? We did not. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'd never be organized. Um, cool. So, do you have like a question just off the top of your head? Let's see. No, I don't. What we could do is we could change the 12 step program to an 11 step program so that it matches this show now. <gasps> okay. Yeah. What do you think about that? No, yeah. let's not do that. Okay. Let's not. What would you start a revolution? What's like one thing that you would just want to give to people as far as just advice for this thing? You know, like, what would you give back <laughs> to a person? Like, for me, that thing is I always tell people there's no spiritual finish line, mm-hmm. you're never going to cross a threshold and someday be serene mm-hmm. it's just moment by moment daily stuff because i used to think i could graduate to mm. like some sort of special status uh, sure that everyone had and i didn't you never yeah. graduate mm-hmm. mm. yeah i don't know i'm so uh i'm so hesitant to give advice because <laughs> i don't like when people give me advice well maybe not advice but like one no. thing you would I know. I want to share with people. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know the best way to put it, but as I've seen myself sharing in meetings and as I, as I've seen the message that is, I've been called to share about. Yeah. You know, it, it touches on a little bit of what you had to say about there being no finish line and Mm -hmm. whatnot. Yeah. For, in my experience, I was confused in recovery because the message I heard is if you do the steps, you'll be happy. And if you're not happy, it's because you're not doing the steps. And sometimes God's will is discomfort. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That was yeah. the thing I realized. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, my experience has been somewhat different because mm -hmm. before I never really did the stuff and I was never that uncomfortable and I never really stayed sober, you know? This time my experience has been somewhat different. For whatever reason, I got very propelled into be, being very active within recovery. Mm -hmm. And I have suffered more in sobriety than I ever did when I was drinking and using. I have found sobriety um, to be unbearable at mm -hmm. times. I've found that dealing with self-centeredness is is a whole nother ball game than drinking and using. And though a lot of the repercussions in my life were worse in a certain way, like they were more extreme, like I'm glad I don't have them now. Um, but I was sort of numbed out to the whole fact of what was going on, you know? So I don't even quite know where I'm trying to take all these words and what I'm trying to point towards, you know? Um, it's such a, I'm, I love, I don't know. I'm very, in a lot of ways, I'm not one to give hope very easily. Mm -hmm. I, I, I prefer to, <laughs> I've always been a little bit more of a dark cat, you know? Um, when people ask me if it's going to get better, a lot of times I like to tell them it won't. You know? And that's not all the, altogether true either, you know? You know? But, um, yeah, I don't know. I think at the end of the day that we're all in good hands. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, I've got no way to really sum that one up. <laughs> I think I think we reached I think we reached it, man. Yeah. That was great. Um thank you so much for being on the show. Mm. Um Normally, if you were a self-promoting comedian, I'd say, where can we reach you? But what I will say is, um, if you have any additional questions for Chris, uh, go ahead and tweet us or uh, email us. I don't have the email set up, JK. Um, tweet us at 12QuestionsPod and we will, or 12QPod, and uh, we'll go ahead and relay those questions to him. And uh, Alex, no. where can we find you? Uh, I'm on all social media at Dapper Duong. That's D-A-P-P-E-R-D-U-O-N-G. Awesome. Uh, I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Anna V is fun. That's Anna with two N's. And you can uh, email me at com if you have any serious questions about uh, the show and uh, or go to the website. There's email there. Whatever. I'm not communicating so well today. Anyway, uh, this has been a really delightful conversation. Thank you, and, Chris. And... Um, uh, Alex, uh, if no one sold you today, I love you, man. And Chris, if no one sold you today, I love you, man. Thank you. I yeah. love you both, too. And thanks for having me. Yay! I mean, we love our listeners, guys. So uh, if no one loves you, we do. Mm -hmm.